0: It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Welcome everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by Teach Coalition. Just another few days until Election Day. Make sure you return your mail-in ballot or you vote early or go to the polls on Election Day coming up. If you have any questions or need help with your voter plan in New York, New Jersey, Florida, Pennsylvania, call or email Teach Coalition's voting expert at 201-937-8442 or email at HUTTB at teachcoalition.org or visit their website at teachcoalition.org slash vote. Every vote counts and it's irrespective of which candidate it's for. It's the idea of the community voting. And that's why Teach Coalition, the community's advocate for fair government funding of non-public schools is encouraging everyone to go ahead and vote. And it's very apropos that the topic of tonight's episode is about the Chazoin Isher of Ramishaya Karelitz, uh, one of the greatest, um, Torah leaders Jewish leaders in recent times, and he was actually the pioneer and formulator of the public policy of the religious community in Israel in regards to voting and participating in the electoral process in the state of Israel during its early years and There was his vision that in many many areas, but specifically in regards to voting as at least as far as the state of Israel is concerned of um of uh which is a view that uh, you know continues till this very day about the participation and and how important uh, voting participation is that definitely was a feature of the Chazanish's view um in his later years when uh, the state was founded so it's appropriate that uh talking about uh, the Chazanish on a time that the uh the voting is is a topic and the hot topic, and vote, high voter turnout, and the participation in voting. Either way, so um, the, art, the art side of the Chazanish is actually coming up later this week, and that is why we're going to have part one. There's going to be several parts. Um which fascinating person, and his time, and his world, and we'll have to cover it in, I don't know how many. It's going to be in several parts, probably at least three, maybe more, we'll see. Um, before I start, I want to read a few letters that I received in regards to a couple of previous episodes. We have uh, we had a recently on the Maggid of Mezrich and his students um, in the early years of the spread of the Hasidic movement. And there was a complaint registered, which I accept, that I left out um, Reb Shloy Melutzka. I left out a lot of students of the Maggid, but uh, that, it, that it was an omission that was not intentional, Rabbi Shloyma, Shloyma Lutzker, who was the one who was very, very close with Rabbi Doivber, the Maggid is rich, and actually arranged his writings, and almost all of the Torah that we have from the Maggid was through um, Reb Shloyma Lutzker, so it's very important to mention his role as well, because we would have much less from the Maggid today if it was not for him. Another comment I received um, about the Magid of Mizrich in his Talmudim episode is a very interesting that someone shared a a thought from the Labavitchereba, which I which I liked a lot. So I'll share it with you. That the Rebbe said that the same way that the three Avies they lived in the world together for fifteen years. You know, Yaakov Avinu was fifteen years old when Avraham Avinu passed away. So the Avaish HaChasidus also lived together in the world as far as the youngest student of the Magid is rich, the Alta Rebbe, Rabb Shneri Zalman of Liadi, the Balatanya. He was 15 years old when the Bal Shemtev passed away. And of course, the Magid was still alive. And since he was the youngest of his Talmidim, so, you know, the older Talmidim of the Magid were still alive at that time. So there was this overlap of at least 15 years. Where the Talmudim of the Maggid and the Maggid and the Baal Shem Tov were all in the world together. So the Avos of Chasidus are uh, parallel in a certain way to the Avos. Okay. Now, I mentioned in a comment also in a recent episode about the Rosh Hashiva of the Mirs Yard site, Ram Nassim Finkel, and I commented from uh, the, that the Rosh Hashiva stayed in Eretz Yisrael when he was a teenager after his mother was asked by Reb Finkel to keep him there. And I received a letter attempting to correct me that uh, he did not stay in Israel then because he went back to finish high school back in Chicago. So I want to qualify what I said. He definitely did stay and the Rosh himself talked about it. He stayed and he even spoke about how he studied Bavakama, like uh, some incredible number. is when he's 14 years old, coming from Chicago. He studied Bavakama that winter, um, like, I think it was like tens of times, like 20, 30 times, I don't remember. Amazing, uh, almost unfathomable. This he himself said. And uh, and he was in, in, in the mirror for about eight months when he was 14, 15 years old. It was only after that that he went home and stayed for another few years in Chicago to finish high school, and then and then came a, subsequently a second time to the mirror in which he stayed permanently. So that's that's another um, you, know, um, you know qualification. A I also mentioned in the episode in regards to Jewish politics. I mentioned in passing how the first Jew in the British Parliament was Lord Rothschild, and I received a correction about that. And was not in the House of Lords, and it was not Lord Rothschild. It was Lionel D. Rothschild, who was the first member of Parliament in the House of Commons, who was Jewish. Okay, now getting to the important things. Getting to the Chazayn-ish, um I want to start off by saying that I happen to notice a there's a, a fascinating autobiography by Rabbi Doctor. Abraham J. Twersky, the world-renowned psychiatrist and author and whatnot, an amazingly accomplished person himself. Um, so he wrote an autobiography several years ago and I, and I noticed there, I couldn't check it up before I, I saw it way back, but um, I, I, I think I remember seeing that he mentioned that the greatest regret that he ever had in his life was that he was however many years old, when the Karelitz, the Chazaynish passed away, and he never had the opportunity to meet him. And that's a regret that he lives with. That's an amazing thing for someone like uh, uh, Rabbi Dr. Tversky to say, uh, someone who accomplished so much and knew so many um, big people, that the greatest regret that he had was that he never met the Chazaynish. Uh, it's, uh, it says a lot about um the impression that he made on the people of his generation the khazanish's long lasting impact is almost unmatched in recent times uh, he's someone who literally is it's like uh you can not even exaggerate when you talk about his mastery of kolhate Kula, the entirety of of taira of his his taira knowledge his taira study his Asmada, and uh, and his writings he literally wrote on everything he covered everything, and everything in Halacha. He was an amazingly unique personality, very different from many of the uh, great Torah scholars and Torah leaders in, in recent times. And the most incredible part that I find about it, about the Chazanish was that his fame and his active leadership in in a, in a major leadership position in the Jewish people was really in the last few years of his life almost like in the last 5 years of his life he lived into his mid 70s um and he was somewhat known a little bit before that not not long before that for most of his life he was completely unknown but his really active phase in a major leadership position was only about the last 5 years of his life so you're talking about someone who has such a major impact and it was only it was only in you know in, in uh, it only came out to the fore, um, to his major fame in those last few years. So what, what I'd be curious to explore primarily in the in the next few episodes is is what led up to that. What was what was the, all those hidden years? What, what what happened then? Now there's a, 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 great, a lot of uh, sources of the Chazanish. There's he's someone who there's been a lot of biographies written about, uh, mostly in Hebrew. There's at least five or six or seven. Uh, Hebrew biographies written uh, about him, most of which are excellent. Um, I think one or two have been translated into English. Um, many of them have fantastic testimonies. And then, of course, there's the, you know, the something that's like in a league of its own. Uh, Professor Benny Brown has written his, it was originally his doctorate and eventually became a book that's only about uh, close to a thousand pages in academic Hebrew uh, but uh it's definitely worth the read, at least the biographical uh uh chapters which are shorter. Um you know, amazing stuff. So there's a lot there's a lot out there. Um so we start with the Chazanish's family background. He comes from a rabbinic family, his father of Shmaryo Yosef Karelitz, who um the Chazanish's nephew, may he live and be well, Reb Chaim Kanievsky. Everyone calls him Reb Chaim, but his first two names are Shmaryahu Yosef and, and that's it comes from his, uh, his, uh, his grandfather, Rebbe right? Chaim's mother, the stipler, His wife was the Chazanish's sister. So it's his grandfather, Rabbi Shmaryo Yosef Karelitz, was the rov in Kosovo, a town in, in Lithuania, today in Belarus. And, um, and there's it's a rabbinic family also on his mother's side, and, and the Katsenel and Bogans, and whatever, and several generations back. Um, the Chazanish had many famous siblings who all were in the rabbinate, who all were prestigious, big Talmudic HaChamim, and most famously his brother Rameer Karelitz, who was the right hand man of Rabbi Chaim Chaimoy for many years, and later on in, he was active in the Vada Yeshivas and in, in Israel. Uh, later on, Rameir Karelitz is a personality of his, his own family. A lot of the Chazanish's siblings aren't so famous, even though they're very impressive individuals, because most, I think most of them, many of them, where uh, they and their families were murdered by the nazis uh, during the holocaust um he had a a, a brother-in-law who was the, the the last rabbi of tiktin uh Abba Swiatitsky, who aswietzki's um are, some of the family made it to the united states and continue i think some of them are actually listeners of jewish history soundbites so they'll appreciate the shout out but the the um then of course he had a sister who married Rabbi Shmuel Grineman, who we'll get back to, who played a major role in the Chazanish's life in publishing his, his forum. Of course, his youngest sister married the Stipler, Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky. Um, and then the Chazanish had other brothers who were rabbis, who were in the rabbinate, who were great people as well. In fact, when it comes to the Grinemans, so one of Rabbi Shmuel Grineman's daughters, uh, had the privilege of knowing in her later years, Rabbitson Esther Finkel. She was married. Uh, to uh, Rebbeinish Rabbe, Finkel, the Rashiva, the Mir, and um, and the sh- amazing woman, uh, also uh, great people, had the privilege of knowing her just a, a tiny drop at the end of her life, and um, and he uh, and she, Reb Shmuel Greideman, for several years lived in the United States when she was a child. He he, lived, he worked in he was also in MTJ and in, in, in Lower East Side and other places. Either way, so she, the Chazanish, as we'll get to, did not have children of his own, and uh, the Chazanish was involved in raising the Greinemann children when Rabbi Shmuel Greinemann uh, lived in America. So Rabbi Esther Finkel, she told me that she grew up in her uncle's home, in the Chazanish's home, so I asked her, you know, some things about the Chazanish. So I remember uh, I was, I was uh, with, uh, eating, eating with her by her daughter's house, Rabbi Tzen Kaubach on Pesach, and I asked her, you know, Pesach, matzahs, whatever, it was just on, that was the topic at hand. So I asked her, did the Ish eat hand matzah only or also machine matzah? So she looks at me and says, Nit the geton, hot the not everything that the Ish did, did he mean that everyone else should do? And she felt that that was an important lesson to impart, uh, you know, today that there's a lot of you know just copying whatever the Chazanish and other people like that did so she wanted to emphasize that was her answer she didn't give me any other answers so by the way not everything the Chazanish did uh, was uh, was was a chumrah. he and once we're talking about matzahs and pesach he was a very rational person and and uh, also heard from a member of the uh, the Grinerman family uh that um that when the Chazanish brought his matzahs home from the matzah bakery a few days before Pesach. So he would go over to his bread box in his, in his cup, in his kitchen, and he would clean it out and he would wipe out all the crumbs and he, then he inspected it to make sure there were no crumbs. He would blow it out and wipe it down. And when he was finished taking all the bread crumbs out, he put his matzahs into his bread box. So there you go. So either way, so the Chazanish, um, getting back to, um, his family and his growing up, he, he did not really have a, a yeshiva education in the, in the normal uh, understanding of the word, or even a reg, regular rebbe uh, relationship. Again, in the conventional way of understanding that, he had his father and, you know, the rabbinic atmosphere of his father's home and his siblings, and there was a, you know, he did have a local rebbe for a short period of time, and he even even for a sh- very short period of time, he went to a yeshiva either. Something either brisk or but not, not, nothing very significant. He never really had any, um, uh, um, in, in a, again, in a conventional sense, any, um, Rebbe or yeshiva, which was later to have very big impact on the style of his learning. Um, he was a, a, him, like a couple of his siblings, um, had, uh, health issues. And he suffered from that and it was a challenge his entire life. And everything he studied and, and learned and accomplished was with great, um, with great sacrifice. He had diabetes. He had a heart condition. He had digestive issues. To top it all off, he was nearsighted and he only got glasses later on in his life. Um, in fact, when he was in Stoibitz, he lived in Stoibitz during World War One for several years, a small town near Mir, actually. So he was in the local shul and he was studying from a gemara which belonged to the shul and he was nearsighted so he was holding the gemara very close and like, like 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 is known he was you know quite hidden at the time he nobody knew who he was and that he was a great talmud chacham or anything and they their local balabatim had gathered in the base medrash in the evening to hear a gemara shir. And they needed that Gemara. So the Gabai, the Shamish of the Shul, came over to him and said, "You shouldn't. You know, the, the Gemara is for people who are learning, not for you know just to, just to look at and you know simple people. There's, there are people who will go attend a shir, and uh, and, and they, they're supposed to be using the Gemara. Uh, that's what they. He was said. So please give up the Gemara. And uh and the Chazanish quietly, without a word, he. He handed over the Gemara, and he later on, when he related this story, he said that the Shamish was 100% right. He was correct. He said, first of all, the Gemara was not mine, it was the shul. So if there's a shear in the shul, there's a Gemara class in the shul, then it belongs to the people going to the class. So, There's no reason for me to be using it at that time. And secondly, the Gemara is definitely supposed to be studied from, and it's there for learning. So if people are going to have it for a shear, then they should be learning from it. And... <laughs> He was in his humility. He didn't see anything uh, out of line with the fact that he was it was taken away from him. The Chazanish, um aside from his health issues, he was he was very quiet, very gentle, shy in a way. Um, I guess today, I don't know the right word for it, and I'm, I'm looking for the correct word. He was some somewhat of an introvert. Did not have many social contacts or friends. He studied primarily by himself, literally for hours, days. And everything on end, um, and, uh, and 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 uh, he eventually gets married um, when he's twenty seven years old. Um, his wife Basha from Chvedan, which we'll get to because he settled down there. In fact, his wife was much older than him, uh, significantly older. There's different ver- different sources that say how much older. And again, he was twenty seven when he got married, and and in some places probably an exaggeration. They say he, she, she was double his age. But even if that's an exaggeration, but she, it seems from all the sources that she was significantly older, 10 years, 15 years, something like that, or even more older than him. Um, it was a very interesting shidduch. And, um, you know, again, he wasn't the biggest catch out there. He was, like I said, shy and quiet and, and he not healthy. He had diabetes and a heart condition. I said he was very sickly and he wanted to study his whole life. Not only did he not want to, uh, have a a career, um, but he also did not want to accept a rabbinic position. It's something that he already decided early on, and he stuck through his entire life. He did not want to attain uh, obtain a rabbinical official position anywhere. He wanted to dedicate his life to the study of Torah, and um, so he gets he you know he gets married. Uh, he gets engaged uh, when his after he got engaged, his family actually found out at the age of his his bride to be. And they tried to pressure him to break the shidduch. Um, and he refused. He said, I cannot shame uh, a, a Jewish girl. And it's uh, incorrect. And we agreed to get married. And it doesn't matter that she's older. And I'm going to go ahead with the marriage. And he resisted the family pressure. Uh, the probable reason that he never had kids was that she was simply so much older than him. And they weren't able to have children. It's just a speculation. But they, they did not have any children. Eventually he did try, Um, it seems that when they lived in Vilna l- later on in the 1920s, that he did try to divorce her because he wanted to have children, um, and as is the halacha, and uh, she was not excited about that prospect, so they stayed married. It was a somewhat of a strained relationship. Um, she had a fabric store that supported the family, um, and and he was very happy that she controlled the finances, that he was able to t- completely dedicate himself to his studies. Um, he sometimes helped her with the with the books, with the, running the credit and the 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 management of the books and the figures and the numbers. But pr- for the most part, she ran it herself. You know, she did deteriorate emotionally as time went on, and in later years, it was it was she was you know quite a problematic personality in his life and. It was almost like uh, it was almost even in later years, almost downright abusive. I, I was privileged to stu- to uh, eat Shalashuddis with a elderly Yerushalmi yid, a very halachic Jew, Talmud Chacham, Reb Freind, um, when I was single, and I used to, he used to had the most incredible stories. So he knew the Khazanish very well. He used to go very often to the Khazanish and he told me that uh, that she she was you know she was losing it in her later years and. She would actually throw things at him sometimes, and he witnessed her throwing pillows and cushions and stuff like that at him. And, um, and he asked the Chazanish, him or one of the people who he was with, asked the Chazanish how, you know, the Chazanish was calm, perfectly calm, did not lose his cool, smiled, was the most gentle, idle person ever, even sustaining all this, uh, abuse, essentially. And, and, Someone expressed amazement. How how do you how do you just stay so perfectly calm? And he said, the Chazanish said, I I calculated how many how much how much I could sustain, how many things thrown at me I could sustain without losing my temper. I, let's say I managed to I, I calculated I can sustain 10. 10 things thrown at me, and I know that I won't lose my temper. So until ten, I don't even pay attention, and when she throws the eleventh one, I say to myself. For one thing thrown at me, I'm going to lose my temper. And this way I'm able to stay calm, uh, indefinitely. It was, uh, that's the, again, the tragic, uh, in a certain way, home situation he was in and he, how he was able to persevere. Now, when he was in Chveidan, he settled down in that town, um, where his wife's town after they got married and he studied day and night. He was quiet. No one knew about him. Um, he, uh, that's, you know, certain ways, almost his golden years when he was completely alone and just, Met, you know, com- devoted to his study, um, he did get to know the rabbi of the town, Ramo- Ramosha Rosen, later known as the Nezer Hakodesh, uh, the sefer that he wrote. And he was later on, he moved to the United States. He was one of the earliest, if not the earliest, questionable of the of the of the ter- Yeshiva Torah Vedas in Williamsburg, um, and they stayed in touch. Uh, Moshe Rosen was essentially the first person to discover the Chazanish, and they got. Pretty close, and they stayed in touch later on in life. It's also during this period in life that, that, that the Chazanish, um, got to know Reb Chaim who was later to have probably the most major impact. If there was anyone who he looked at as the ultimate Torah leader and Torah scholar that he gained from and later on, it was Reb Chaim Iser And, um, and it would be a decisive role that the relationship they would have when, uh, when the Chazanish spent his 13 years of his life in Vilna, um, but the first time that he got to know Reb Chaim Eizer was when he was still out in Chvedan. It was probably through, maybe perhaps even through the rabbi, or Moshe Rosen, but it was also probably through um, the, the the Chazanish's brother, Rameir Karelitz, who had married the daughter of Reb Shloimeh Cohen, the Cheshik Shloimeh who was one of the great rabbis of Vilna, and therefore in that capacity, he was close with Reb Chaim Eizer, and he later became one of his closest, uh, uh, Reb Chaim Eizer's closest lieutenants, in a way, uh Reb Meir Karelitz. So it was probably through that, that, uh, that Rabbi Chaim Meiser and the Chazanish um, got to, you know, Reb Chaim Eizer heard about the Chazanish for the first time. World War I brings the Chazanish to Stoypts and later on to Minsk, and that's where he he has an exposure to a lot of the great uh, Torah leaders and scholars of the day, Reb Chaim Brisker. He got to know Musar personalities, the altar of Slabotka, Reb Yerucham Lavavitz of the Mir, different Novartic uh, Musar personalities. This is when the Chazanish starts to formulate his opposition to the Mussar movement, which would become a major feature of the Chazanish in later years. He opposed, he was ideologically opposed to the Mussar movement for all kinds of reasons. And he was opposed to the yeshiva style of the Derech Halimud, the, the Torah study of the yeshiva uh, world. He had his own way of study, which he felt was more correct. And he was critical of the way the, the study of yeshivas. So he was really his own man. And the emphasis is that it, these ideas developed when he was a young man, um, already in his 20s and 30s studying alone. Um, and, uh, and that's how he started to develop and blossom. And by 1920, he moves on to Vilna, which we'll pick up in part two. So this was Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at com for questions, comments, sponsorships, virtual tours, uh, speeches, lectures, whatever. And, um, you can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Uh, follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites and I hope you enjoyed.